0: today we're going to look at a parable, um, a story. Parables are metaphors that Jesus taught to help us understand heavenly principles using stories that we can relate to as human beings. Worldly stories with kingdom heavenly purposes, heavenly insight. And this parable that we're going to look at today is going to help us understand how God feels towards sinners and how remarkable amazing his love is for us so who here has lost something i'm pretty sure Every single one of us has lost something, uh, at some point anyways, or even in the moment that you think that you've lost your phone or your keys, but they're like actually in your hand or in your back pocket. That happens to me a million times a day. So, uh, but whether it's your wallet or your phone or a special gift maybe from a loved one, there's nothing worse than the moment when you realize that you've lost something that's important to you. You check and you recheck pockets and you're hoping and praying that whatever it is that you lost will somehow reappear. And when you do end up finding it, it is just like the best feeling of relief when you find it. Well, in this chapter that we're going to look at today, there's actually three parables back to back that are all concerned with lost things. Each is presented to show us that God is seeking the lost, yet each one has its own emphasis. The sheep in the one has wandered away, the lost coin is just simply lost, and the prodigal son is deliberately gone astray. And in each parable, we can see what God feels like, feels about lost people. So today, we're going to focus on just one of those, and it's known as the lost sheep. And the one that I'm reading from, because it's in another book as well, but I'm going to read from Luke 15, uh, verses 1 to 7. So if you've got your Bibles, you can read along, or you can follow on the screen. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So the story comes up because Jesus is hanging out with a lot of sinners, a lot of lost people. And according to the Old Testament law, even associating with sinful people would have made you guilty by association. And and it wasn't just about having a bad reputation, but you could literally be seen as unclean to God when you were hanging around these sinful people. But here is Jesus who's fraternizing with sinners, hanging out with tax collectors. And tax collectors and other sinners would come and they would listen to Jesus. People in this day and age despised tax collectors So I guess not much has changed there, but tax collectors were especially despised because they represented an oppressive Roman government that ruled over the Jewish people. And so these were Jewish men who collected taxes on behalf of the Romans. And so it kind of felt like a betrayal to start with. But then they would also collect extra taxes and they would pocket some of the difference, some for themselves so they were hated among the Jewish people. And then there's notorious sinners, people who didn't even pretend to follow the religious law of the day, people that were sinners, tax collectors, they could be outcasts, prostitutes, gangsters, whatever you want to call them, they were drawn to Jesus. There was something about him that attracted sinners rather than repelling sinners. And I think these notorious sinners were attracted to Jesus because notorious sinners have kind of tried everything else. They've experienced every other vice and substance and pleasure and found that these things still left them empty at the end of the day. So Jesus came along, the living water. He started to teach the truth. He begins to quench a thirst that they realize they have. And they're drawn to him. Something is different about Jesus. But these Pharisees didn't like this. And the Pharisees, if you aren't aware, are a group of basically religious guys, okay? They practice the religious laws of the Old Testament very devoutly. And they're not necessarily bad guys, because they do get a pretty bad rep. I think there was most likely some Pharisees that had really good hearts. But the thing is, most of these Pharisees were so wrapped up in the rules that they missed God's heart towards people. And they saw these sinful people hanging out with Jesus and they thought that Jesus was supposed to be this religious leader, so how can you let them, these sinners, hang out with you? How come you're eating with them? Like eating together is a personal and an intimate thing. How come you're hanging out with all of these people? So then Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep that we just read to help us understand God's heart towards sinners. Now, imagine. Now I would imagine, I can't say 100% for sure, but if these Pharisees and scribes were any students of the Bible, which I imagine they were based on what we read about them, when Jesus gave this parable, it was most likely familiar to them. Something was familiar about what he was saying. That's what's so crazy about everything that Jesus says is it lines up with the Old Testament. It's crazy. So they may have thought, oh, this rings a bell or uh, sounded familiar, right? And if they thought that, they would have been very good students of the Old Testament because in Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel was a prophet and God pictured himself through the words of the prophet like this. I'm not reading all of 34, I'm just going to read some verses from it. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And then to 16, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy I will feed them in justice. And then verse 22, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. So this is awesome. And, and I love this because it's this visible, visible, a visible illustration of what God thinks about us and his attitude towards us when we're lost or trapped in sin. He says that the shepherd has a hundred sheep and he'll go after one that's missing. So he leaves the 99 other ones in the wilderness to go search for the one until he finds it, right? So I want to just upfront establish that you and I are sheep. That's who we are. Throughout the Bible, God uses this metaphor of sheep to describe his people. So I was thinking a lot about this, and I was thinking, like, should I be insulted by that? Because if you know anything about sheep, they are pretty dumb. They're dim-witted, they're easily distracted, and they're prone to wander into very dangerous areas. So I was like, is this really how you see me? Right? Well, then I read this from a theologian named Charles Spurgeon. He said this about sheep. A sheep of all creatures is the most senseless. If we have a lost dog, it may find its way home again. Possibly a horse might return to its master's stable. But a sheep will wander on and on in an endless mazes lost." (laughs) Well, so when I read that description, I can't really be too offended of his choice uh, as an animal to describe me, because we get distracted, right? Have you ever gone on Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or YouTube or watched TV for hours? It sucks you in for hours. How about friends and families and events and life circumstances and and our minds? We can wander, start to follow things of this world. So then I decided, okay, I guess I'm a sheep. I'll have to move on. We all get lost, but not in the same way. Sometimes we know full well what we are doing, right? So lost sheep can represent someone who has never come to Christ, never accepted Jesus as their Savior, but it can also represent Christians who have wandered away. Sometimes we make choices and we don't realize how destructive that they are. Sheep follow other sheep. We are easily influenced by the people around us. I'm not sure about you, but I remember when I was the one he came for. And that's something to worth like thinking about for a moment. When he left the 99 and came after you and rescued you. And Jesus wants us to know that God loves lost people. He'll move heaven and earth for those who are lost. You might remember when you're lost. You might remember when you were far from God. Maybe you're even sitting in here right now thinking you're as far away from him as you've ever been. Wondering if he wants absolutely anything to do with you. You need to know that Jesus doesn't run from sinners. He runs to sinners. That's what our God does. Amen. Now, if you hang out in a church long enough, you will eventually come and cross paths with somebody that maybe sounds like or talks like a Pharisee. Sometimes it's not even their fault. Sometimes people have just heard really bad teaching or they've been misguided and they were taught you know, that God looks at sinners in a bad way. And I think if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll be at risk of developing an attitude like a Pharisee in your heart without even realizing it. In fact, the longer you've been a Christian, the more naturally you're going to spend time with other Christians, right? And over time, you've gotta be careful that you don't only spend time with Christians and lose touch with those who are lost. Otherwise, you run the risk of starting to look down your nose at those who aren't like you or who are far from God, and not being able to even relate to what it was like to be in that position like you were one time. So we keep our distance from them, or we think bad things about them. Uh, Oftentimes, Christians think that God looks that way at sinners, like they're bad, And it's funny how it's really easy to be repulsed by the sins that you don't struggle with. But we become really understanding about the sins that we do struggle with, don't we? I hate liars. Like, liars are just the worst, right? They're gonna go to hell. And then you lose your temper, like, every single day. And you say, oh, well, everyone's got a temper. You know, it's not my fault. I'm German. I'm Irish. I'm Spanish. It's not my fault. Whatever the excuse is, right? But liars, they're the worst. Well, that's not fair. Or you're judging the actions of someone's lifestyle, but you're sitting there with unforgiveness or judgment in your heart. Maybe even a secret addiction that you're sitting in right now of some kind. And that's not fair. Well, these Pharisees, they saw these lost, sinful, simple people, and they were turned off by them. They thought they were gross, unclean. They wanted to get away. But what happens when you're confronted with your own sins? Because the Bible says that Satan, our accuser, will surely remind us of our sins. And if you think that God is repulsed by sinners, you'll soon believe that he is repulsed by you. You'll end up hating people and hiding from God. So Jesus, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one, he leaves the 99 in this open country and goes after the one that he's lost until he finds it. Now, if you're like me, who likes to think practically speaking, in our minds you might be thinking this makes absolutely no sense, right? Whether it's practically or business-wise, if you have a hundred sheep and I lose one, I'm not going to leave my 99 I have left to go searching for the one lost sheep. Right? I'm not going to leave 99 in the wilderness. Like These sheep are my business. Like Cut your losses and move on. A- and maybe some shepherds would do that, but Jesus is not a regular shepherd. He is our good shepherd. In John 10, it says, I am the good shepherd. The Hebrew word for shepherd is raha, and it was often used as a word for best friends. Jesus says, I'm your best friend best friend. And he does what a best friend would do, what a good shepherd would do. He does in fact leave the 99 to rescue the one. So theologically, how does this play out when I'm talking about loss? What do I mean with the fact that God runs two sinners? It's that we as humans, we have all sinned, every one of us. The Bible says nobody was born innocent and lived a perfect life. We all have a sinful nature. We all mess up. Nobody is righteous, the Bible said, not one. And so our sins made us guilty in God's sight. And because God is good and just, he has to punish sin. If you don't punish it, he would not be a God of justice. And so we are lost, we are hopeless, we're this lost sheep. He decides to save us. And so God sends his son, Jesus, into the world, who is fully God and fully man, and he comes into this world, and he puts on humanity. And then Jesus fully lives a righteous life. The only righteous person who has ever lived is Jesus. He lived the righteous life that none of us could ever live. Completely innocent, not guilty of sin. And then So you understand how crazy his love is. Then he lays his life down on a cross. And he dies absorbing the wickedness of our sin, absorbing the punishment of our sin onto himself. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve so that we could receive the reward that Jesus deserved. We need to understand this, that God didn't just forgive your debt, he actually paid it. When you think about that, because God knows everything that ever happened, he knows everything that's ever going to happen. When you think about that, that means that God created humanity knowing in advance that we would reject him. And that he would have to die to save us. But he did it anyways. Like, wow. That is completely not rational to me. We would not expect uh, that from any human point, that this would make sense, right? We would say it's not rational. He's God, he doesn't owe us anything, and yet he gave everything for us. Just like the shepherd leaving 99 to go after the one. It seems crazy, even more radical, for Jesus to leave the throne room of heaven and come into our world and then give up his life for humankind. With no guarantee that we would even take our free will that he's given us and accept him actually continually rejecting him. It was risky. It seems completely irrational. It seems reckless, like the song says, reckless love. But he isn't either of those things. His love makes no sense to us. And really, for us, the only logical choice, if you want to throw logic in, is for us to follow Jesus. If you're far from God, like the prodigal son was in his story, the Bible said that the prodigal son, he came to his senses. He realized that he couldn't save himself, that he was making himself miserable. So the only option he had was to serve God and turn his life over to him. I read this quote from a philosopher named Blaise Pascal, and this is what it says. A rational person actually should live as though God exists. If God does not actually exist, any person will have only a little loss in how they live their lives, some pleasures and luxuries that might be given up to satisfy the director of faith. Whereas they stand to receive everything as represented by heaven and avoid infinite losses, eternity in hell, being separated from God. So the only logical choice is to choose God. It's, it's rational for us to choose God. It makes sense. It's crazy to not choose Jesus, whereas it's crazy for Jesus to love us. God's love for us maybe is irrational, right? But he's irrationally in love with you, something we can't even begin to understand. He does what, um, what doesn't make sense in pursuit of you, because he loves you. God isn't afraid of sinners. He's not trying to get away from sinners. So as Christians, we don't live our lives like sinners have to stay away from us. Religious people run from sinners. Legalistic people run from sinners. Jesus conquers sin as our redeemer and runs to sinners. We have to keep that in mind. He's always pursuing. He's always seeking and saving the lost. That's the business that he's in. In our parable in verse five, it says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. If I had to chase me, I would probably be coming up to me with a rolled up newspaper wanting to smack me over the head over and over and over again. (laughs) Because after he chases my hard-headed self down, laying his life down for you before you can even appreciate it, when he found you, he did not greet you with a backhand, a curse, or a rolled-up newspaper. Instead, he lifts you in his arms, and he celebrates the fact that he found you, joyfully and rejoicing as he carries you home on his shoulders. This tells me that Jesus doesn't beat sinners down. He lifts sinners up. That's what God does. And I think about how often, myself included, that have carried around these burdens— Feeling guilty that they've let God down again or in the past, expecting that God is so disappointed in them, maybe feeling like God is angry at them and disappointed, who's looking to make us pay for our sins. And that's the way a lot of religions depict God, but that's not what God does. The good shepherd doesn't beat the sheep down, he's already been beaten for the sheep. He's not looking to make us pay back because he's already paid, us for, paid for our sins. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've gone through some hard times in your life, I'm thinking everybody, and you've asked yourself, is God punishing me for my past sins? What, what have I done wrong here? Why are you punishing me? And I think so many of us ask this question, Is God punishing me for what I did in the past and I'm not saying that there isn't consequences that happen because of our actions because there is but he is not punishing you that's not what he does he's already paid the price for your sin he's not mad at you he's not mad that he has to chase you he's celebrating the fact that he found you so I want to look at John uh, chapter 10 verses 11 to 16 about what it says about our good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He's comparing himself to a hired hand, the worker who would give up when things got tough. But Jesus is different. He's the good shepherd. And when things get difficult and your relationships are strained, he doesn't just give up. He sees the wolf coming and he stands by your side. You need to know this. If Jesus loves you enough to die for you, that he loves you too much to stay mad at you. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at you for what you've done. He's not mad at the sins that you committed this week. He celebrates that you're in his arms. He's not looking to beat down the sheep. He loves the sheep. He takes care of the sheep. He doesn't want to hurt us. He came here to heal us. He came to heal our hearts, our souls, our, our minds, our bodies. And when we do wander away, which happens, even once you're a Christian, we are going to still struggle with sin, right? When we do wander a little bit off course for where God wants us to be, and maybe some of you are thinking, oh man, I'm like way off course here. Like I'm so far off course. Well, you know what God thinks about you? He loves you. He's not looking to come after you and to punish you. He's ready for you to come home. He's pursuing you. He he lifts you up with joy and carries you home. That's what he does. He doesn't punish us. He doesn't beat us down. He lifts us up because he's the good shepherd. He's our best friend. And then in verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I alone am the good shepherd. There's lots I could say about this verse, but this part. No other gods besides me. There's no other way to the Father besides the good shepherd. There are no other true religions besides the ones that Jesus teaches us. I alone am the good shepherd. He is the hope. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. You need to realize what Jesus said. He didn't say that there are many multiple paths to God. He didn't say that there are many ways to get to heaven. He said there's one way. I alone, he said, I am the good shepherd. In verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. So God originally recognized the Jewish people as his chosen people. Throughout the whole Old Testament, the Jews were God's chosen people. They alone were able to be saved by God. So what existed for thousands of years were Jewish people and outsiders. Those who are in and those who are out. I bet you everyone here has felt like an outsider before. It's not a good feeling when you're not picked for the football team. I think we can all agree that we don't like the feeling of rejection. In whatever form it comes, feeling like an outsider, it's awful. And I think a lot of us can relate to this idea of feeling like an outsider. Maybe some of you today who've come to church for the first time, and you're wondering, am I an outsider? Like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what she's talking about. Do do I belong here? You need to know how Jesus thinks about you. Jesus doesn't push sinners out. He brings sinner in. And that's what he does. You see, the Pharisees, they were offended that Jesus would eat with sinners and social outsiders, and they would have, they would have been even more shocked if they were to realize that Jesus was going to tear down the wall between Jews and non-Jews. In your Bible, they're called Gentiles, if you've heard that word. Anyone who wasn't Jewish before they came to Jesus, he would have been called a Gentile in the Bible. We are not God's people by birth. We were outsiders. But here's what Jesus does. He tore down the divide. He accomplished what hundreds of years of equal equal rights movements couldn't accomplish. He said, no longer man or woman, free or slave, Jew or Gentile. He came for all people all sheep, all races, all cultures, all social backgrounds, all whatever is going on in your background, all social statuses. He came for all. He wants all the sheep brought back into the fold. Every single one of you. If you've ever felt like an outsider, you don't have to stay that way. Jesus will welcome you in. He wants to bring you in. Don't fall into the trap that Jesus only came for people who look like a certain way or act like a certain way or look like you or talk like you. Don't fall into that. That's not the way that it works. The good shepherd is looking for all of the lost sheep, those who are trapped in sin, who are trapped in false religions, those who are living in sexual sin, those who are voting for different politicians than you. He came to rescue all of the sheep and bring them into the one true flock. And I'm sorry if you've ever been to a church that has not welcomed you, or maybe they've hurt you, or when you've walked into the church, they look at you like you have like horns growing out of your head, like what are you even doing here? I had that happen to me, like you just don't belong there. And we need to understand that this is unfortunately very common. In churches. But that is acting like a Pharisee. It's religious, and it's legalistic, and it does not reflect the heart of God. Not for one second. This church, Jesus's church, will always be a place where sinners are welcomed in and never pushed out, because that's what God feels for sinners. And I know some people are here probably worried, like, shouldn't you be telling sinners that they're sinners? Yes, yes we should, and we will. At times it will come up as we discuss what the Bible says, as we speak the truth, but we can't be the Pharisees. We have to realize that the Holy Spirit is so much better at changing people's hearts than any of us are. It's true. The Holy Spirit is the one who transforms hearts and convicts people of sin. The transformation of the hearts and the minds, that's who does that. I can't do that. You can't do that, Pastor John can't do that. But our responsibility here is to teach the truth and that we are committed to, teaching the truth, even if it is uncomfortable, right? The truth will set you free, that's what they say. The church is not a club, a special elite, a well-behaved group, it's a hospital for the broken. Jesus is also called our great physician. So whatever you're sitting in here today, whatever that looks like, whether someone knows about it, you don't know about it, I don't know what's going on. God isn't pushing you out. He wants to bring you in. He wants to bring you in. That is what our God does. So the last verses of the parable. And when he comes home, this is the best part, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's good. That means for us who call ourselves Christians, we're doing our thing, we're trying to follow Jesus, we're doing good, we're serving, we're trying to spread the gospel, we're memorizing scripture, we're in the word, all these things we do. God's like good. That's really good, Yasmin. I'm proud of you. That's really good. That's what we should do. But when one lost sinner comes home, all of heaven and all of the angels throw a party. There is more rejoicing over one lost people who come one lost person who comes home than over 99 of us Christians who are doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. You realize that, right? In a couple weeks, on September 9th and September 10th, on baptism weekend, we have the opportunity to rejoice with all of heaven and all of the angels as we dunk people in this tank. That is exciting. So we've got to be careful as Christians that we don't walk around patting ourselves on the back, like, good job, Yasmin, good job, good job. I'm doing real good. God, you should be so proud of me. I've grown so much this year and not even more excited about lost people coming to know Jesus. Because that's what heaven is celebrating, the lost coming home, the lost being found. And that's what this church, us, need to be about until Jesus comes home. Amen? And yes, I have to say, we do want Christians to come here and to learn and grow. Like, I must say that, like, if, if you're here, you're going to grow. If you show up, and you read God's Word, and you're part of our church body, and you serve, and you're in a group, you will grow. You won't be able to help yourself. You will grow, because you're planted in good soil, and you're being watered, so you're going to grow. But we must be about reaching the lost. That's why we're growing as Christians, so we can become better and better at reaching the lost, not so we can just sit around in our towers and feel good about how much I grew this year. It's to reach those who are lost so we get to rejoice with all of heaven. And there's one other thing I need to add, because somebody's probably thinking it. Understand when I emphasize God's grace towards sinners, it doesn't mean that we should become casual towards sin. God loves sinners but he's not tolerant towards sin. And we have to make sure that we understand the difference. Sin is very serious to God. We don't want to look down our noses at sinners, but we need to understand and always remember that God, he does not want us to sin. It's so serious to him that he died. Jesus paid the price for that. It's not a casual thing that we joke around, we laugh, we say a big deal, this, oh yeah, well I sin, you sin, we all sin, he's going to forgive us anyways, like it's no big deal. It is a big deal. And when people are far from God and trapped in sin, it's not cute or casual to God. He knows that that sin is causing them to go a direction that will ultimately lead towards destruction. So we have to guard our hearts against sin. In Proverbs 4 23, it says this Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So, as Christians, we need to guard our hearts. Don't let sin creep into your lives. Jesus came to chase the sinners, but we need to guard our hearts and avoid putting ourselves in situations that might cause us to stumble. So, guard your heart, but rest in God's grace. And then, so how does this work? Like, how am I supposed to do this? How do I love sinners without overlooking sin? Right? How can I be cautious and guard against sin but not be a Pharisee? How do I do that? Psalm 23.1 says this. I'm going to read till verse 3. Very, a lot of people know this one. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I want. He lets me rest in green Meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. So here we have our good shepherd. What does he do? He lets us rest, but he also guides us along right paths. And I think this can kind of teach us about God's grace and sin. So guard our hearts towards sin, but also rest in God's grace. So how do you not become a Pharisee? You still have to guard yourself against sin and be cautious, but you also need to rest in God's grace. We need to balance between the two. And we're never very good at balancing, are we? So you should, when you think about sin, you're guarding against being cautious. You need to rest in God's grace. So I'm not trying to balance on one leg and doing just one of them, but doing both of them in harmony at the same time right? It's guard and grace, guard and grace. There's truth and grace, guard and grace. I'm trying to be cautious, but I'm trying to take comfort of God's grace. That's what we tried to do. The Apostle Paul spent all of Romans telling us about God's grace, how big it is, how amazing it is, how overwhelming it is. But then in the very next chapter in Romans 6, he's like, well, but that doesn't mean that we go on sinning just so that God's grace abounds. Yes, God's grace is amazing, and we get to rest in it. But we have to also be on guard for sin, because he died for our sinful nature. And we get to be comforted by the fact that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. But cautious about the sin in our lives. I'm doing both things at the same time, not trying to balance on one or the other. Just trying to be cautious, but comforted what the good shepherd can do. He leaves us to rest in his grace, but he also leads us down the paths of righteousness. He wants us to enjoy the fact, be comforted by the fact that we're saved by grace, but he wants us to guard against sin. He wants us to follow him along the path of righteousness. The worship team can come up. So I'm going to wrap up. Um, Once you read the word sheep in the Bible, you will see it everywhere. Okay? There are so many things I learned about sheep and I mean, not enough time to share them. And we could talk about like the pasture and the fresh water and the minerals and the rest. And I'm pretty sure I can find biblical implications for every single one of those things. But when it comes down to it, the only need of a sheep, there is only one, and that's the shepherd. And Jesus tells us this in Matthew 9, 36, when he affirms this truth. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. One of the interesting characteristics of the sheep is that they cannot defend themselves. Have you ever noticed that sheep don't have teeth or or horns or claws or poison or coils? They, They don't bite. They have no defense mechanism. Sheep are just waiting to be eaten by a wolf. That's why they stick together. That's why they're taken care of by the shepherd. Sheep also can't get up on their own. Have you ever heard of a sheep that turns upside down and they're flailing their legs in the air? If a shepherd doesn't lift the sheep up and put it back on its feet, it dies. And I can think of a few times when I was flailing about. And I would have been in some serious trouble without the intervention of my good shepherd. He loves us enough to help us get us right side up. I understand now why God compares us to sheep. It's for a good reason. We would be a mess without him. And another interesting fact, sheep are not meant to carry burdens. Have you ever seen a sheep get packed up on their back to carry things? They weren't meant to carry a heavy load. We're not meant to carry our burdens. In fact, we are to give him our heavy load so he can carry it for us. Are you seeing all the sheep comparison? Right? We're starting to sound a lot like sheep. But we have a promise of a good shepherd, which is what makes this parable so beautiful. When we recognize how weak we are, we become how necessary it is that we depend upon the good shepherd We are vulnerable, but he is strong. That makes the difference. When a sheep is left to their own devices, they'll destroy the pastures. It requires the skill of the shepherd to take them into new pastures, to pay close attention to them at all times and be aware of their needs. God shows us that a lost sheep doesn't need to be scolded. I think that's what I love so much about it. It needs to be rescued. And that's what the shepherd does in this story. He leaves the 99 and finds the lost sheep and then carries him home on his shoulders. The best part, the sheep doesn't do any work to get home. Did you hear that? The sheep doesn't have to do anything, any work to get home. He doesn't have to find the way. He just needs to rest on the shepherd's shoulders, and he's carried home by grace. Amen? Will you stand with me? We are going to pray, and then Amanda and her team are going to lead us. So, Father God, I I thank you that you are the good shepherd. I thank you that you seek and save the lost that you're in the business of rescuing us, Father. I thank you for the time that you found me, that you found each of us, and Father, if we ever stray, that you will lead us back home. God, sometimes your love makes absolutely no sense to me. That we're just absolutely not worthy of your love, but you love us anyways, and I thank you for that, Father. I thank you that you not only love us, but you call us yours, your children. I thank you for receiving us like these lost sheep back into the fold. I thank you for seeking us and pursuing us and rescuing us and loving us. Thank you for showing us how much you value us, Father. That you would not leave us in a lost state, but that you actually come out to get us. And Father, help us appreciate the joy that fills heaven over every sinner that repents. Help us to share that same joy. Help us to join you in bringing others to you, Father, bringing in these lost sheep into your fold. Help us be about your business, Father, to love the things you love, to hate the things you hate. Use us for your glory, Father. We are here to serve you. Send us, send us, send us. And just give us the privilege of seeing the lost found and returned to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.